the Augustin Hosinga show with your host Augustin Hosinga. Smack the shit out your bitch ass midget girlfriend, nigga. <laughs> Welcome back to the Agostino Zynga show with I, your host, Agostino Zynga, and this is episode number 656, 656 of the Agostino Zynga show with I, your host, Agostino Zynga, and I'm so happy to speak to you today. I am so happy and over the moon to speak to you today, and I hope you are well wherever this podcast is finding you. I hope you are bloody, bloody well. How am I? All good, all things considered. I can't complain. I swear in my life, I cannot complain. All good, all good on my end. Having an absolute blast of a time, doing what needs to be done, living a healthy lifestyle. I'm now into week three of my um, self-imposed sobriety and it's going absolutely wonderful. It's going absolutely wonderful. I'm waking up early. I'm going to the gym every day. And if not, I'm working out every day. So if I'm not going to the gym, I'm running. I'm doing some stuff outside. I'm cycling. You know what I mean? I'm doing push-ups at home when I'm bored. A couple of sit-ups and crunches to get those abs going. I'm on my Alton Mason summer. All right? 2023 coming forward is my Alton Mason summer. And if you don't know who Alton Mason is, I'm actually going to get it up for you on the, on the net here so you can see what I'm talking about. But those of you who know, I'm sure you'd know already, but I'm on my Alton Mason time. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm on my Alton Mason summer. I'm trying to get that buccal fat in my flipping cheeks, right? I'm trying to have my cheek look razor sharp, as you can see, right? And I'm trying to look wafy thin so I can fit into all my trendy clothes, all right? So... By the middle of this year, guess who you're going to see here? You're going to replace Alton Mason's, you know, amazing, symmetrical, model-like face with my gigantic, wobbly head. It's going to be on top of that body. That's going to be me, all right? That is going to be me. So don't be scared. Don't be alarmed. If you see me dropping some kgs, you see me dropping some pounds, don't start crying and getting nervous. I guess, do you know you look horrible? You look like you're sick. You need to eat something. Shut up. I'm doing this for fashion. I'm doing this for the aesthetic, okay? Keep your opinions and your flipping concern for my safety and for my health to yourself. I care about the clothes more than my health. I have to fit this massive ass into a pair of Ricoh pants. And the only way to do it is intermittent fasting, loads of working out, right? And denying myself of all the sugary um, processed foods that I like to eat croissants, biscuits, muffins, all that stuff. I have to put it to one side because I need to fit into my Rick Owens and I need to look Slavet, all right? I need to have this nice V going there, leading into my flipping, you know, nano regions. That's what I want to see there, right? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So that's the time I'm on now currently. As you can tell, I'm hyped and I'm cranked. And the funny thing is, I've been getting some comments from some people about the pods. People saying, rah, man, the pod, the live stream, you seem like you're high. You seem like you're super hyped. The funny thing is, 
this has probably been the cleanest I've ever been doing this podcast. I'm just high on life. I'm literally powered by cold brews, coffee, cold brews, and green juices. That's it. Nothing else. But yet people think I'm high of drugs. That is a real, it's kind of a bad indictment on myself. And it also says a lot about other people. That the only time to see people hyped and enthusiastic, they have to be on drugs. And that the first thing people will say about me when they see me hyped, enthusiastic and ready to roll is that I'm doing some kind of illegal substances. That really hurts my feelings. I'm not going to lie. It really hurts my feelings. It actually makes me want to cry. But I'm so hard, I'm so much of a man, that I'm not going to do that, okay? I'm going to hold it all in, and I'm just going to say, you know what? None of you know me. You don't know what I'm really about. My life has been hard. Boo-hoo-hoo. And I'm going to make myself feel better that way, okay? Because that's what everyone does. You make yourself feel better by not admitting your mistakes and just doing what you got to do. That's what you do, okay? That's what you do. But yeah, um, secondly... Another reason why I'm hyped. Another reason why I'm absolutely hyped and over the moon. Guess what? You never guess what. You never guess what. I got booked to DJ tomorrow. Yes! I'm DJing tomorrow. It's not going to be a crazy place. I'm not going to Fabric. It's not Fold. It's not Bergheim yet. It's in a little bar somewhere near where I live. So it's not, to, not the best thing in the world. But it's still what I need to do. The steps I need to take in order to get to my goal. And to be honest... I've been so long without being behind the decks in a somewhat professional capacity where somebody is paying me money to play for a couple of hours. It might be $50. It might be $100. I don't know yet. I was so excited. I just said yes. I didn't even ask how much it is. I just want to play in front of people. It doesn't matter where it is. It could be in a barbecue somewhere with little toddlers running around. I'm going to be smashing that stuff like I'm playing at Ministry of Sound. I'm going to give it my all. And I'm so happy. So happy. But it also is a real reflection of the times that are changing now. I feel like the only opportunities that I will have legitimately to play on a regular basis is I have to just start my own night. I know I've been putting it off. I've been a bit lazy. I've been a bit... Um, maybe maybe there's a bit of apprehension. There's a bit of fear there because organising your own party, you're kind of putting yourself on the line a little bit, reputation-wise. Not just not because of what people might think, more so about the club. Because this putting on nights at nightclubs isn't like these comedians. These stand-up comedians, they can go technically on tour to loads of clubs. They can get paid a fee up front. But then if no one turns up, they still get paid. They might not get the door, but they still get whatever they get paid as a fee. So they can kind of run a bit of a scam. You're kind of like you're running off on the plug. But in DJ world, you can't do that. In DJ world, if you organize a party in a place, like a venue, and, you know... You, you give them the spiel, you say it's going to be big, you say it's going to be really packed, you tell the manager, the booking agent, you're going to bring loads of your friends down, blah, 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 and it turns into a dud, that's you burned at that club. Unless they change booking manager, you're never going to get invited back again. So you kind of have to be careful. You have to make sure that you can fill the spaces that you're inquiring for, and you also have to know in the back of your head, if the party goes crap, that most likely they're never going to let you book another event there. Even if you offer them money, even if you pay more than what you did before, they won't do it because they know you can't fulfill and they have people that have to pay, bartenders, security guards, all that sort of stuff. So that's why, for the most part, what I'm doing now is kind of the low-risk option. But the rewards aren't that great because I'm playing basically in a in a in a in like a trendy version of a cocktail bar. So there's a small dance floor there, but for the most part, everyone there is like, you know, they're drinking, they're having some nibbles, right? They're having my famous chicken fingers. So that's what they're basically doing. So you're not really there to party. 
So it's a harder way to get from where I am to the top. But if I really want to get to the top, I have to put a party on, and that takes a lot of risk. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit crazy. It's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit sketch. So, but anyway, I'm regardless about that. I'm really happy that I've got this gig tomorrow. Um, I'm really looking forward to it actually. Um, I've got to dust off my USBs. I've got to prepare a playlist and stuff I want to play. Get back into the whole swing of things because I haven't done it in so long. Getting prepared for sets and stuff on the weekend because this is what I used to do on a regular basis. On a regular basis, every week, I'd have a set. I'd have a gig from Thursday to Sunday that I'd be playing in some sort of bar somewhere, right? Getting experience, playing in front of people, picking up the odd 50 pounds, the odd 100 pounds. That could pay for your Ubers. It could pay for your little McDonald's on the way home. It's such a good feeling. You make you, you, especially when you go into a bar or a club where everyone's sitting down, they're looking bored, and then you come in and slowly but surely, slowly but surely, slowly you get them dancing. You know, you see someone dancing to the way to the toilet. You see someone making a little bit of a thing, right? All that stuff happens and I'm absolutely loving it. But yeah, so I'm happy to do that on Saturday. And what else is happening? That's it, basically. Nothing else is happening. That's all that's happening for the Melbourne Saturday. And of course, I have some trips planned later on down the line. There's a prospective date or occasion that might occur where I might end up being in Madrid sometime in a little city just outside of Madrid called Alcocoron, is that how you pronounce it? Alcocoron or something like that. There's a really cool club there I might want to check out just for the vibes. Just go down a quick one night thing and bounce back again. But we'll see how the vibes go. But for now, I'm calm. I'm here. I'm situated after my Berlin dalliance. I'm, re I'm chilled. I'm back in the sector. I'm back in the zone. I'm relaxed. We're ready to roll. Okay, that's the main thing I have to say to everybody. We're ready to roll. Be patient. Be <laughs> patient. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Um, anyway, moving on from this. Talking about what we're doing. Talking about what we're doing. Talking about what we're doing. Here's this, right? So, there's this guy that I really like. Um, a DJ who I discovered during the pandemic. The pandemic was a weird time for everybody that was DJing or trying to p pursue some sort of career because, unfortunately, hospitality industry was the first industry that basically got closed down. It was the first to close, the last to reopen, basically. And it was a bit of a brutal thing to take. And a lot of people, you know, I, I was crying about it myself because, like I said before, I had a semi-decent, very low-level amateur sort of, like, run that I was going on where I was playing, you know, three times a week and stuff on a regular basis. I had some warehouse parties I was playing at. Everyone was going pretty well. And as soon as the pandemic hit, it stopped it. But if I thought, if I thought, if I thought I was having a hard time, just imagine people who are like far higher than me on that kind of ladder trying to get their career up and going, right? It must have been such a weird place to be to suddenly you're feeling like you're about to get somewhere. You might get your first nightclub booking or your first festival thing and then suddenly, bang, the pandemic hits. So... A lot of those people um, was kind of struggling to figure out what to do because their whole careers and lives got turned upside down. But some of them figured it out. And one of the people that I think kind of figured it out in the pandemic is this guy called Patrick Mason, who I have a lot of time for. I think when I first sort of like stumbled across him, he kind of reminded me a lot of like Iggy Pop in terms of how he performs, in terms of how he uses body behind the decks, in terms of how physical he is and everything. But now... I just think he's just a performer in general and, and what you would I would say is a quintessential artist in terms of like 
maybe the term DJ is a little bit is a little bit what's the thing called restrictive. It kind of puts him in a bit of a pigeonhole. But you can definitely see a scope for more things. You can definitely see an avenue where he becomes somebody that kind of you know gets in front of a microphone and sings and raps. I don't know. Maybe it's Eve's Timor style. Maybe it's actually classical singing. Who knows what it'll be? But it'll be more than just playing songs. Um, you know, other people's songs on a deck or whatever, which isn't bad. But there's definitely more scope that he has because I can tell. Maybe he used to be a professional dancer. Maybe just really enthusiastic about it. He obviously looks good in clothes. He looks good with no clothes on, clearly. So all that stuff works. But one thing that really kind of made me um, take notice was how he would perform behind the decks itself, right? He used to kind of, the first time, especially when you think of somebody from Berlin, you just think of somebody, not to, not to slight him, you know, because he's a legend, but you think of like a surgeon head down, just staring at the flipping machine, no interaction with the flipping crowd, right? And for the first time, somebody from Berlin I saw was really like, was really kind of expressive with their body, was really dancing, was really vibing and having a good time and stuff. And it was really refreshing to see. But now this guy has evolved the performance. So when I saw him first, I think I discovered Patrick Mason, maybe through Hall, that online um, Berlin radio station, or sorry, but online live streaming platform for DJs that absolutely blew up during the pandemic and now it's doing absolutely amazing things. It's basically, you know, Berlin's version of Boiler Room and some more, but it's really kind of tightly run and a bit more grassroots than what maybe Boiler Room turned into be. And he kind of blew up from there and he was also doing his own thing, live streaming on his Instagram account, blah, 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 all amazing. And then over time, I think he was also at this other party. I forgot the name of it. I think it was like Prozilam Bar or something. I remember him doing a couple of things there, etc., etc. But the performances behind the decks have become really, really something to behold. And I think this really kind of, if anything, makes everybody want to step their game up. Because if I think, sometimes I think I'm doing too much when I'm just doing a little two-step or I shuffle my shoulders. I think I'm doing too much, right? I think maybe I should chill out. I'm being, you know, I'm, I'm performing, I'm playing up to, I'm being a character. But actually, if you think about it, especially nowadays, considering how little people go outside and the fact that people want to make, you know, that they want to make the experience that they do go outside worth it and actually worthwhile and feel like they haven't wasted their money, actually giving them some level of performance might be the actual key to kind of unlocking, um, you know, the whatever, the pleasure receptors in people's brains when they're going out so they're not thinking they're wasting any money. And this is a good example. This is a video clip taken from Patrick Mason's Instagram account where he's performing and let's just say it's very, very, very interesting, in my opinion, how he does it. Let's play it. In case you can't see this, he's standing on top of the table where the decks are. Very expensive decks. He's standing on that table with a very expensive outfit on. Arms splayed out like an electronic music flipping savior or something. For some reason, he's also aligned to all the flipping LEDs and lights coming out from that table. Crazy. Oh, come on, play. What's happening on my computer? Goodness gracious me. What's happening here? 
We have to start again. Oh, let's start it again because I don't know what's happening. My computer's going ga ga goo goo. It's not having it now. People keep saying, oh, it's your Wi-Fi, it's your Wi-Fi. It's not my Wi-Fi, it's my computer, all right? It's flipping 17 years old. It is what it is, but <laughs> let's try again one more time. Come on, Patrick Mason. Don't disappoint me. Let's see the God pose. Let's see you dance to the top of the table. Let's see it. Let's go. man his body's moving it's shaking swaying left to right Woo. okay he's dancing on top of the table if you can't see the video he looks amazing on the table lasers coming right behind him on beat of course the crowd patiently waiting for the tune to drop With a capital P. I love it. I don't care. I flipping love it. When you when you have a whole industry of people, right, who legitimately do their best to look bored behind the booth. That's the thing you have to imagine. DJs for the most part are kind of similar to comedians. They're fucking bitches. They're moany crybaby bitches. Always moaning. I've got to play four gigs in one weekend. They're flying me out private on the plane. I don't want to be here. I want to be with my boyfriend and my girlfriend. I don't want to be earning 30 grand playing other people's songs and just pressing play and cue and pause. No, they're always moaning. Right? They don't really put on any kind of a show. Some of them are playing the same set back to back. Right? They're not even changing the flipping playlist of what they're playing based on their location. They're not even fixing, you know, editing things on the sly or trying to you know, do little chops and changes or making little runaways and edits in the, in the hotel room as they wait before their gig. They're not doing none of that. They're not even going record hunting in the local stores to give their stores a bit of hype and a little bit of a buzz and whatnot and maybe get some tunes that are maybe you know, um, local to that area so they can play and blow people's minds. Nah, they're just copy and pasting the same set they play in flipping Paris to Bogota to flipping in you know somewhere in chile whatever it may be and at least at least with flipping patrick mason you know number one the guy cares about his image so he's keeping himself in tip-top condition he's wearing all the latest garments right he's plugged in with the fashion world always flying off to fashion weeks paris all over the place whatever it may be to go over there friends with the people in margellan doing great things there clearly and can dance his ass off so at least at least we're seeing something behind a booth so if you are paying to go see patrick mason perform in a nightclub you're paying what anywhere between 20 dollars to 50 dollars to perform you know you're gonna get a show if it's not Patrick Mason dancing, it's some performers being on stage there. Maybe some little drag show, maybe a little strip tease, some sort of performance dance, whatever, expressive dance, whatever it may be, you're getting a performance. You're not just going to see someone there clad in black Rick Owens, staring, you know, glumly at a flipping mixer. You're going to get someone actually having some fun. And I love that about Patrick Mason. I love that about him. And I think it's great to see that element 
come back into flipping dance music and hopefully it becomes a thing. Now, you don't need to be as expressive as him. Maybe you think he's too much and you maybe think he's like the male Chloe Bailey or something, right? He's always doing the most and stuff, but you can tell a theatre kid when you see a theatre kid. This guy's been performing since day dot. I'm sure he's got pictures of himself on stage somewhere when he's five years old doing the most everywhere. It's just the way he is. But I think it could also be synthesised. It could be kind of done in your own way. You have to be on a table, but you can throw up the odd arm when you're playing. Why not throw up one arm? Why not just have one arm in the air? Why does two arms need to be right there on the mixer? Why not even connect and look at somebody in the eye? Why not smile? Why not wave at somebody? Do something, do something. Because these days, people aren't coming out as they used to. They're not coming out of that anymore. So if they are not coming out of that anymore and they want to make sure that their $50 or £50 pounds is being spent at the right place and they're getting their money's worth, provide them with a performance. And I feel like Patrick Mason provides these people with a performance. And you can see it from the joy in the band's face when he's performing behind the decks. You can see he is where he needs to be. And clearly, the crowd are responding in the right ways also. Look at these videos. Now, is the music for me? Obviously not. Probably not. Not my kind of vibe. But still, I appreciate the guy all along. I appreciate the guy all along. So yeah, check out Patrick Mason if you haven't already. Um, definitely one of my favorites. Definitely somebody that I kind of keep an eye on from afar to see what he's doing performance-wise, to see what he's doing in terms of a vibe, in terms of a being a person, blah, 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 and see how I can kind of interpret it and mix it and dabble it in the stuff that I do myself. It's a bit. I'm a bit far off from that sort of thing, but I'd love to see. And also you can tell he's somebody that's kind of come from what I would call humble beginnings, right? The person playing in local bars going to playing lounge bars doing the odd warehouse party here and there getting an agent or booking person maybe later and then do some brand deals and then suddenly now boom the guy's touring and it looks like he's never not touring somewhere which is absolutely crazy actually i want to see let's actually see this guy's touring schedule because it feels like he's everywhere whenever i go on instagram this guy's always flipping traveling in some mad, mad place so let's see patrick mason's artist profile on ra let's see how booked and busy big pm is of course, look at that. Booked and busy. Look at the scroll. God damn. Blessings on blessings on blessings. So he's got so what look at this already. Jesus Christos. Playing. So today he's in Budapest. Uh tomorrow is Sicily. Then the following weekend is Berlin. Then Paris. Then Madrid. Then Lisbon. Then Latvia. Then what's that? I don't know what that is. That's been Northern Italy. Then Basel. Uh, that's what I guess Italy or Mexico, then Sao Paulo, Sao Paulo in Brazil, then Greece, then Amsterdam, then Manchester, then Belgium, Bavaria, Glasgow, Hangover, Dortmund, other regions. God damn, passport stays stamped up because guess what? He doesn't mind lifting his hands in the air, he doesn't mind shaking his hips. And look what happens passport gets stamped up stamped up stamped up so yeah big up big pm we love to see it we love to absolutely see it i love to see it actually and it's very very inspiring for the stuff that i'm doing i find that stuff very inspiring next on the list we talk about another dj who i'm a big fan of and somebody who again i discovered courtesy of Hall berlin they need to open an agency that's what they need to do Hall berlin needs to open an agency or some sort of representation thing because the amount of people I feel like I've discovered through that platform is crazy. 
because I felt like before, maybe I think Berlin used to have this radio station. I forgot the name of it. They had an online radio station that was basically equivalent to what we have here in the UK called NTS. And I feel like that was a, maybe the main center point or the main meeting point you could find people. But I feel like Hall's basically been now taken over. So now that's where you can find everybody who maybe is doing stuff in that city, who's kind of noteworthy, who should maybe be paying attention to. And I love that. I love that about it. And one of the persons I discovered on there is a DJ called LOL Snake. And they had a really cool um, feature here. And um, what you call it? And, um, and a mix as well that it is for Mix Mag. Um, and it's, the title is here, Playing Feelings, LOL Snakes, Mood Inspired DJ Set, Speak Directly to the Dance Floors. Very good profile. But I want to scroll to some answers that LOL Snake here provided regarding Bergheim and just kind of, you know, her kind of upbringing and start in DJing, which I thought was really, really interesting. So let me see where I can find it. There we go. Um, yeah, yeah. So you've spoken about Bergheim being so pivotal, so, so pivotal in forming so many relationships in city alongside the other clubs. What do you think it is about Berlin that makes it so easy to nurture these bonds and create communities? People love saying that, isn't it? What's, what's actually a community? Somebody that you just take care with, you know, on the weekends, that's not really a community. Somebody that you, you know, asks if you can sleep on their couch, that's not really much of a community. But hey, what do I know? Let's continue. Sometimes, LOL Snake says, when you have a busy life, especially when you have been waiting, so wanting to meet specific friends, but there's maybe not been the time to do so, you always have to some time to see them on this afternoon at the club. So you'll catch up and create bonds over years. Okay, that's there's there's some point in that. I have seen a lot of um, you know, a lot of my kind of long friendships, even till this day, have been formed around you know, nightlife and being out and about and whatnot and meeting people at all hours of the day and seeing people in vulnerable states or them seeing you in vulnerable states and then kind of bonding over that. So I can understand this. It continues. There's a sense of freedom and openness that you can't find anywhere else, at least from my experience, where I feel like a big part of the queer community and not necessarily just queer community, but also a party going community in Berlin have this tinge of otherness that they may have felt, whether they were nerdy or had experiences like mine or simply didn't fit in wherever they were from. So we all find ourselves in this little pot of club culture i think there's this understanding of each other and again there's no prejudge in this regard no pretentiousness and snobbiness it really is a minimum here if you want to have a little freak out dance on the floor nobody's going to be like oh my god what are you doing you know it makes you want to go back it's very much a social space personally i just let loose and because of the opening times the party's never ending you can have a moment to really listen to music but then you can also spend two hours having a deep conversation with somebody that you know or an acquaintance that you didn't know so well but you can sit down in the club and have all the time in the world you really over the years establish bonds in a way that i think is really special there's a lot of truth to that but unfortunately it also has a double-edged side of it because from the times that i've been and again i've never lived in berlin but i've been there plenty of times just to holiday and whatnot so maybe you know the experience of living there is completely different but one thing i do think you know it can be a little bit annoying sometimes is that they do take themselves a little bit too seriously it, at the end of the day it, re it really is just raving it's just dance music. It's not really that serious. And some people, especially the ones who aren't playing, the ones who just attend parties, they really take themselves seriously. Especially the ones who go to certain clubs all the time. They feel like they're legitimately part of the flipping workforce. They're part of the people that own it and something. It's a very bizarre sense of ownership in a place that you have no equity in whatsoever, apart from your sweat and apart from maybe some drugs that you dropped on the floor. That's really strange. But on the other side of the coin, 
it also is quite nice to see a place or quite refreshing to see a place like Berlin that exists. And, it's, and again, it's unique. There's no place like that in the world because I don't think anywhere else could kind of get away with what they get away with. But it's nice to see somewhere where they take club, club culture seriously and they kind of put things in place around it to kind of support it from like, you know, the the trains running all at all times during the day, especially on during the weekend. Great. Other, you know, other transport things are pretty good, like the trams and the buses, um, the spat curves in terms of, you know, the little off licenses where they serve beer. The club's been open a really long time. Um, there is a bursary or some sort of grant that some clubs can sign where it kind of allows you to put soundproofing into your club to make sure that you're not impeding on your neighbours. Like there's all this kind of good stuff that kind of makes it you know puts the chips in the club's favor in order to stay open as opposed to what we have here in the uk where gentrification is always number one residents always take priority over everything even if they move after the fact to neighborhoods where already those clubs were established they still kind of have ownership and precedent which is really really bizarre but overall i think that because a lot of good points that they make continuing on here says uh let's continue i don't think it was that one i went to see I think it was... What is it? Yeah, I think it was this year. When I first started DJing, LOL Snake said, it was really special to have those closing hours of a few friends left at a party just vibing and playing to them. That was really inspiring. I was working so much, so hungry to do more, and it gave me more pleasure. I was doing monthly concerts, promoting not necessarily Australian music and doing raves, doing parties, eventually moving to OM in 2018. It was quite nomadic. I did an event series called Queerdos that I started with a friend of mine, which was spoken word and performance art. That was very nice. It was that was very nice because I just wanted to create spaces that were reimagining the event format. In the UK, I was going to at least three shows a week, and in Berlin, the same, constantly out. I was more or less wanting to bring a new take of events in that regard and get time for myself and community around me. It was really hectic as I was DJing at the bars, I was part-time job doing bookings for a small venue here and the list continues. All of those things just don't pay so well so I was hustling. I loved what I was doing and it was all around nightlife where I wanted to be. Now, this was really cool and kind of refreshing and somewhat, uh, what's I think called? A good reminder for me because a lot of this stuff I was also doing, but I got lazy and stopped doing in terms of putting on events and kind of consistently and, you know, um, with some sort of... Uh, persistence putting myself out there at all costs at all times and seeing what kind of happens because if I look back at some of the better things that happened in my quote-unquote career which is not really a career but it's kind of a hobby that I'm really pursuing most of it happened because I was just out and about touching people shaking hands kissing babies you know metaphorically all that sort of stuff and you have to kind of be in around it but of course it can get tiring um it can get a little bit What's that thing called? It can sometimes get a little bit demoralizing, especially if you get nose, especially if you meet somebody that's got like a bit of a cunty attitude. It can be kind of hard to dust yourself off again and keep doing it. And usually people in the nightlife have incredible egos. So that can be hard to deal with. But really and truly, the only way to actually do bits and bobs is to be out there. So it was a nice reminder from LOL Snake that I have to do more and kind of put myself out there and actually be out and around town and not just be complaining about things from the comfort of my own chair so big up lol snake for that reminder there's a really good mix there from them too if you want to check it out it's available now on flipping um what you call it it's available now on uh on mixmag 
So definitely check that out if you haven't already. I'll put the scroll down here. As you can see there, there it is. Impact LOL Snake there. You can see the track listing of what the mix features. So I definitely recommend you check it out if you're interested. Please do check it out if you're interested because LOL Snake is definitely one of the good ones. Definitely one of the good ones. So next on the list, let's talk about this quickly. Um, I'm not really a fan of Sporty and Rich. I think essentially it's just like overblown, overhyped um, merch in some way, shape or form. I don't see it any way, in any way, shape or form being a fashion label. Um, it's just, you know, it's kind of maybe an extension of a, a creative studio, an agency or whatever it may be. But to call it a fashion brand is kind of insulting to other fashion brands. But I can't lie. This collaboration they put together with Adidas is kind of hitting. These sambas are kind of fresh. And the funny thing about it is that this is not a new colorway. Maybe the makeup is new, because if I'm not mistaken, the sambas that usually come with this sort of colorway, which is white, black with gum, usually has the longer football type of tongue. So maybe she, um, what's her name? Emily Oberg at Sporty and Spice. Sporty and Spice. Sporty and Rich. Maybe what she did was kind of, you know, swap the tongues out, which is kind of a nice little switch. But I think her going for this classic colorway, on the Sambas is really nice and kind of speaks to the overall minimal aesthetic of sporty and rich being really cozy very comfy and not doing the most and I have to always say whenever I talk about sneaker collaborations I think I always have to give credit to people because I know I have a tendency of doing it because I remember you know when Nike ID was really kind of you know starting up and becoming a thing I used to be sitting on Nike ID designing colorways all day long and sometimes if you stay too long on a colorway um, you would end up kind of messing it up and kind of adding too many things onto it and it'll kind of turn into when you were in school and you used to put all the paints into a palette and try and mix it around and it all just turns into this brown weird mush that doesn't really have any sort of distinctive color in it so you can get a little bit too excited so I always have to give credit to collaborators who work with sportswear brands and who do who kind of you know don't get too crazy and don't get too giddy and just do something simple because imagine having the you know the studio of Adidas available to you the resources they have the expertise the talent of designers that you can kind of tap into and kind of, you know, use or kind of lean on and whatnot. And imagine having all that to your kind of, you know, at your fingertips, but you still kind of restrain yourself, pull yourself back and say, no, what actually fits with my brand? Instead of going crazy, designing anything for the sake of it, like those actual Bronson New Balances, no, I'm going to pick a colorway that matches my aesthetic, that matches my brand, that matches my brand DNA, my design codes, blah, 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 the list goes on. And I feel like these Sambas have gone a long way of doing it. And again, this is coming from somebody who's not a fan of flipping Sporty and Spice. I think it's an overrated label that's probably, you know, you know, I don't know how it survived really for the sake of it because it's pretty shit. But I think these Sambas are sick. This other colorway we have here, um, it kind of looks like a sail type of creamy affair on the upper. You've got a really, really nice tumbled leather sort of um, section here in the middle. Then you've got the suede accents on the, on the on the eyelets. And again here on the mud guard, which is a really, really nice addition. And then you've also got some suede hits here or Nubok hits. I guess Nubok or suede. I guess I'm going to call it Nubok on the heel tab and on the stripes. And of course, you've got the sporty and rich um, embossed here 
on the side, which I do like as well. And the outsole is all gum. So I'm not mad at that in the slightest. I'm not mad. And of course, you've got this other color, which is a blue, what do you call it? Ultramarine, maybe more of a sky blue type of colorway. Again, the same makeup with the leather um, main bit on the body here in the middle section. You've got this new box sort of section here with the eyelets. Again, on the, on the, on the toe box. And then, you got, and then I guess it switches here with the heel tab. No, the heel tab is still new book as well. So these are really nice. They came out really good. So big up, um, big up Sporty and Spice. Sporty and Rich. Oh, Sporty and Spice. Jesus Christ. Sporty and, Sporty and Rich for putting these together. They look really nice. And I also don't mind the tongue. Personally, for me, I like Sambas with a long tongue. I think that's what makes Sambas Sambas because they're essentially indoor soccer shoes. So having that little flap is quite a nice addition. And if you don't like it, you could always tuck it underneath your jeans. But, you know, some people maybe don't like the flap and it looks weird. But I do like that addition. If anything, if I was maybe designing them, I don't know why. Maybe they've been done already, but that, that tongue that usually comes up that's long, why don't just have a bit of Velcro on it? You can just stick it down if you don't want to have it flapping all the time. That might be a good way to go about it. But anyway... um. A quick little read of the article, courtesy of Hypebeast here. It says, Los Angeles-based label, Lowell's label, Sporty and Rich has made, has had quite a journey starting as a mood board um, ideated by founder Emily Oberg that transitioned to a magazine and globally renowned imprint focusing on sportswear. Cool. The duo's debut last year marked the start of an ongoing partnership with keeps Oberg's creative output at the forefront. Okay, cool. So it's not only a one hit and done. There's going to be many, many more iterations coming down the pipeline. Cool. After releasing its own version of the Adidas Stan Smith, Campus 80 and the Samba OG, Sporty and Rich is preparing three new colorways of the latter silhouette. So it looks like this year and beyond, this year and beyond is going to be a Samba year. This year and beyond is going to be a Samba year. Yes, Proven 187, big up. Um, This year is going to be a Samba year and I'm all for it. Um, it continues, landing in a trio of distinctive colorways, the first sees Samba original tones maintained across the low-top model, crafted from a premium white leather and classic black accents adorned the medial free stripes and the heel tabs. Beige suede mudguards add contrast complete with gilded tongues and medial branding on the top. The final two, da, 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 cool. take a look. Um, the, the collaboration will drop release the Adidas okay, in the coming month so no idea on the release date so far um, as Hypebeast always do they love to waffle and say loads of jargon for the sake of it but I do like them so big up Emily Oberg and big up Sporty and Rich for putting together a pretty solid free pack of shoes there I would wear every single colorway I like the addition of the short tongue I like the mix of the materials um, just two kind of basic ones nice bit of leather I guess they're both leather but you know finishes you've got a nice little tumbled leather here in the main part of the body then you've got this nice new buck here which will definitely I feel like look a little bit better once you wear it in and beat up those are going to look absolutely banging so yeah big up Emily Oberg I like all three all three colorways are banging big up emily oberg for that one moving on we have to talk about another pair of sambas which i'm more fond of because they come from a black designer no 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 <laughs> not because of that mostly because they're flipping larry right and wells bonner has always done you know a pretty decent samba i think the the, the, the previous ones the brown ones go for crazy amounts of stock x like 600 plus and I think these might be the second one. These look like the quintessential shoe that's made for somebody who says they have a passion for fashion. If you meet anyone that says, I have a passion for fashion, or you meet the type of kid who carries around, unironically, a flipping analog camera and takes pictures of their friends standing next to lampposts and post boxes and next to drains and pavements or looking through, you know, um, 
cage fences and shit or touching spray paint on the wall or standing next to an old car, right? And they've got a passion for fashion and they like to share their outfits on TikTok. I think they're going to be into these. Look at these bad boys. Wells Bonner and Adidas Full Winter 23 um, footwear. And the first edition is this bright, shiny, shiny, shiny Adidas Samba that looks absolutely wonderful. It's the complete opposite of what we saw with um, Sporty and Rich Adidas Sambas. This has definitely been glossed up and hyped up. So you've got this entire amazing silver patterned body. You've got these really nice little twirls on the stripes here that kind of look like they're fred a little bit, which looks really cool. You've got this nice little overstitch going on here, the heel tab. You've got the Wells Bonner stamped there screen printed which i'm not liking i would prefer it to be embossed because i feel like over time if you wear those in if you wear the shoes in or you wear them like i do we're wearing them to wet raves and going crazy that's probably going to end up peeling off because it's been screen printed but then you've got it all completely silver and then you've got this solid um i'd call it it's kind of basically gum but it's not see-through but it's like a solid brown outsole um that kind of looks like a dark brown sort of gum colorway and you've got these nice off-white cell laces which i like nice and flat and long and what i like the most is the nice classic long samba tongue that tongue that kind of goes clack 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 at the front of your flipping shoe and flaps around as you're walking but i love these these are really larry these are really hot. These are really out there. It's definitely a passion for fashion sneaker. It's definitely the kind of thing you're going to get, you know, double takes on. It might be the kind of thing people might ask you, are you wearing your girlfriend's shoes? And you're going to say, no, I'm actually fashionable and I like what I'm doing. But I, I, I really, really, really like this. This looks really cool. And then you've got another cut in love shoe here, which I'm not too fond of. I'm not sure actually what that model is. I'm not really too fond of, um, you know, my, my expertise in Adidas models isn't the greatest. But you've got a dark brown upper with some nice... To be honest, what I do like about this is a colour combination. Again, kind of... Um, it goes by my rule of, like, usually most, I think, great sneaker colourways are usually free. Free base colours. And what you got here, this brown, you've got this burnt orange, and you've got this red. I think usually those are the perfect combinations for sneakers. Anything more than free, you're playing with fire. Then you have to get really precise with where you put the colours, what type of materials you use... Do it in a clever way, blah, blah, blah. Do you use lines, do you use stitches, do you use whatever, what kind of finishes. But I think if you go for a sneaker calibration and you decide to go for three main colorways, so three main colors you're going to use on the upper, usually you're kind of golden, especially if you leave the outsole plain like you did here. You've got an out, kind of like an off-white plain um, outsole here, so there's not too much going on. But the overall dark brown body with the burnt burnt orange stripes here and a nice red addition here on the heel tab and what i do like about it, if you look closely look at that little look at that little hit you've got the suede here on the heel tab and then you've got this nice little plush velvet lining so when you slide your foot in there it feels like you're slipping in yeah <laughs> it feels like you're slipping in but it looks really 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 lovely and then they've got another one as well the same model this is more of a reggae reggae one it looks like um you've got green um uppers and then you've also got this nice i guess like you call like a brown and orange which is sure what you'd say that would be and of course you've got a nice addition here as well with this with the laces but this is even better this is a two colorway combo and look how well that looks then with the with the pine green or the minty green and that sort of brown colorway i think that looks absolutely fantastic so big up gray as well bonner for putting those together now if i scroll down see if we've got a date for these shoes um take a look at the look Take a look at these Wells Bonner SL, SL72 knits and the Sambas coming up. So, yeah, we don't have any idea on the dates here. It says 
The two upcoming pairs feature distinctive design details and remix from the past releases. Founded reflective gum out gunmetal tones and early look at the samba includes a DNA-like lace patterns um, over the lateral side pants. Okay, they're calling this DNA. Is that what it's called? It's called a DNA stripe. Okay, maybe it's a D maybe it's a DNA. Maybe the the writer's taking creative license. Maybe. Maybe, 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 maybe. Who knows? But still, no date just yet in terms of when they're coming out. But soon, but soon. So, moving on from that, we have to talk about another shoe that's got like a soccer influence. Another one. They're coming thick and fast. Fast and thick. Here we go. Courtesy of Hypebeast regarding the Auto 958 collaborations with ASICS. Um, as you can see here, these are definitely up my street. 100% off my street. Number one, they kind of got that um, early, what would you call it? Is it Tiempos? Are they 90s? I forgot what the, what the soccer boot was, but it was a particular Nike boot. I remember, I think it was Nike that might have first done it. But I remember when I was first buying soccer shoes, they would always put the laces like a little bit away from the instep. So the idea around it was that it would increase the hit spot where you'd hit the ball. So they'll kind of put the laces and make it a little bit like kind of bent. So it would kind of slay that way. Which again, it was, it was mostly, you know... Um, placebo nonsense and marketing but it made you feel like you know that like you're a professional because you had these shoes where the laces bent that way and stuff and it was more more sort of material on the inset so you could kind of technically bend the ball like a david beckham so i do like the fact that the lace the sorry the eyelets or whatnot have been kind of you know morphed and warped a little bit i also like this addition of the outsole here you've got this nice little chunky sort of teeth design here on the outside which is nice which also means that this is probably the flex point right this is the flex point where it kind of bends up and down rashi richie i'm live i'm live i'm live it's live it's live we're live never taped never taped always live so yeah this is a good little flex points here and also the other thing i like about it is again this copies this to me this to me copies the same colorways that i say always work the free base, the free main colorways. Sorry, well, I can't say that again. My theory is that to have a great collaboration and a great, um, what you call it, and a great shoe, you should mainly go for free main colors. And I think these actually smash it. So on the first pair we have here at the top of the shoes, we have like a dark or like a forest green type of color with a black, basically. So essentially keeping it under free. The next shoe, you have a black body with a silver asic sort of logo and a purple outsole so you've got the three colorways and then on the second shoe or the third shoe so you have a gray body with the black asics logo and again the black outsole so it goes by the same methodology that i say three colorways or less makes a perfect 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 colorway and i absolutely love it no this no this isn't the this isn't a security tag this is actually the logo so it's a brand called otto as you can see here Otto0958. So this is basically the brand and that's the logo of the brand. So it's kind of like a nice little twist on the football flap that you'd have on soccer shoes or baseball shoes and it kind of just turned it into this O. I kind of like it. It looks really cool to be honest. I'm really down for it. I'm not going to lie. And of course you've got a better angle of them there. I, I kind of like that. I think they look really nice. So let's quickly read the article here. It says Otto958, a joint project between Kiko and Elebase LA-based art gallery Morin & Morin, formerly called Morin & Bondaroff, but we know why they dropped Bondaroff. 
we don't have to discuss that too much, has unveiled his first collaboration with Essex. The up-and-coming footwear series arrives in the dark grey, green and black colourways which take inspiration from 90 Japanese leather soccer boots. Found in a streamlined silhouette, the up-and-coming pair featured a, qu a quilted toe box and an off-centre lace system. There we go, that's what I meant to say. Off-centre lace system um, to increase the contact surface between the ball and the foot. The O logo embroidery offers covers the entirety of the tongue flap. The Essex logo displayed across the tongue. Um, take a look at the Otto 958 and Essex collaboration above and look for a release date to surface in the coming weeks. So, no, 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 no release date which is annoying because i really want these i really really want these i'm not going to lie but there's no release date um, i actually like the this this option i guess that may have been the sample there's a sample here with the same green sort of like body and the silver or the black sort of logo but then it's got the tongue is yellow i really like that i would have preferred those to drop but i guess that might have been a, a runway exclusive or whatnot but they look absolutely hard as hell. So when they do end up releasing, I'll definitely try my best to get them because they look absolutely banging. So big up um, Otto958 and big up Asics for putting those together. They look absolutely sick. And they actually kind of remind me of these bad boys, which I'm surprised haven't been remade or reissued or retroed in some way, shape or form, especially when you consider the success of the Sambas. Like Nike, that's why I always said from time, it's always fuck Nike. Because as much as I like Nike and I like to wear the shoes, the guys that work there are so slow. They're so not on point. Because you think about what's happening now, especially with the Samba hype, especially just with the silhouettes of the shoes becoming thinner and more sleeker and people wanting things that they can kind of interpret with all their fashion gear and whatnot. This model that originally debuted in 2004. If there was, and again, the thing about uh, Zoom FCs back in the day when I used to buy Dunks, these are the shoes that would always get left on the racks. No one would buy the collaboration Zoom FCs, even though there were some pretty decent collaborations, like this one I have here, um, that featured a collaboration with uh, Gino Iannuichi, the legendary New York skateboarder, or sorry, New Jersey skateboarder. He put these collaborations together and they were absolutely banging. But for some reason, Nike are not really, you know, what's that thing called? They're not actually waking up and deciding to retro these. Because I think these will do way better now than they did back then, especially if they really flush out the inside. One thing i remember about these fcs they look a little bit sleek here so essentially it's like a it's like a it's like a nike version of a samba essentially but it's a nike version of an indoor soccer shoe so what i think they should do is maybe gut the inside because i do remember owning a couple of the pairs and although they look kind of sleek they're actually kind of bulky if you look down from when they're on your feet there's a lot of padding on the inside and whatnot loads of um just excess material so they can definitely flesh this out a bit make it a little bit more sleeker make it a little bit more narrow and that will definitely fit into what people like to wear nowadays so i'm surprised legitimately surprised that flipping zoom fcs haven't made a comeback considering what we've been seeing with the hype on flipping sambas and whatnot but again what do i know in it i'm just some guy ranting and raving in his living room about absolute nonsense i don't know what i'm talking about next on the list we talk about this so palace have been doing too many collaborations i don't actually wear the brand i think the people behind it are fucking wankers and i would never support anything that they do in the slightest but i can't hate and i have to say the stuff that they make is nice i'm never gonna wear it of course ever but it is decent so decent that i'm actually considering buying some of this palace and porto yoshida collaboration and just removing the palace label but then i'd know people would know it's palace because of the 
you know, the design. It's kind of like this weird tie-dye type of material um, design that they're doing on the flipping bags. But let me show you the bags first of all so you can see what I mean. Because I think the bags might be worth buying just so I can debadge them. That's, that's what I'm thinking. So if we scan across here, we've got some clothes with the Trifig logo, but no one's wearing that over the age of 18. So we passed that long, 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 long. We don't care. We don't care. Hoodies, we don't care. We don't care. Um, jackets, we don't care either, even though they look pretty decent, right? The thing that really, really got me was the bags, man. Look at these bags. These bags are fire. So I'm legitimately thinking, should I purchase one of these? and kind of cut and cut short my personal vendetta and hatred for palace not to wear the stuff and not to support it and just delabel it when in theory everyone will know what i'm wearing because of how distinctive the pattern is because porter yoshida make these great bags anyway but they don't usually make these sort of patterns they usually do these only in collaboration so maybe maybe i should buy this just for the sake of it because these bags are fucking perfect Great little hand, great little bat handbags, great little male streetwear handbags that I can basically wear um, to kind of, you know, um, floss out and do my thing and whatnot. I can put this on if I want to go to the club, have this if I need to go for a DJ set, need it if I need to go to a flight. The perfect combination. And look at the backpack even. The backpack's probably the best thing about it. Look at how good that backpack looks. Look at the padding on the back there, huh? That's like good padding that you put on the backpack where if you want to go hiking or you want to walk around your metropolitan city looking for the perfect cafe spot, right? Or the closest place that you can go to in terms of a hood area to get some really cheap eats. This is the bag you're going to be using. Loads of padding that can protect your very expensive MacBook when you're traveling, right? A nice little side pockets there so you can put your refillable bottle in there and fill it up with water. I love this, man. Look at that. It looks lovely, isn't it? That looks really nice, especially the front pockets here. you got whatever tie-dye material you have here and this really nice plush velvet material going on there. But I would instantly remove that label, instantly debadge it. But then I have a theory or I have a, you know, I'm, I'm just scared that people will figure out why I'm wearing Palace and they won't talk to me again because Palace is lame. I don't know. And the hat, you know, no one's wearing the flipping hat. That looks like a, that looks like an Asbo hat waiting to happen there definitely a hat of people that beat their wives so yeah this is another how people that probably push their girlfriends in traffic so i'm definitely not into that vibe um we continue what else have we got here we've got another bucket hat again we've got stickers i guess that sticker is that a sticker or is that a carabiner what is that uh who cares really but we continue <laughs> let's go down and see what dates they're gonna come i think they're all out already right yeah they were out on march 17th so if you want to buy some porter yoshida collaborations you can make sure you go to where they sell those things and you can grab it if need be but the bags for me are definitely the stand-up piece in this entire thing i think that's meant to be a coin case right this little triangle thing but again no one's no one's wearing a triangle um coin case over the age of flipping 18 so that's not going to be happening so definitely again i may have to do that and just debadge it because i wonder if people do the same thing with telfar if people get Telfar bags, they're like, you know what? I don't want to I don't want to endorse or represent the black community. I don't want to be an advocate or an ally. So I'm going to buy the Telfar and I'm going to cover it. <laughs> I want to cover the logo. I wonder if they say that. I wonder if that's a thing. I doubt it, but I do wonder. So moving on. Um, as some of you may know, I don't know if you do guys know, but this very influential fashion stylist called Law Roach. Um, announced his retirement from the industry suddenly out of the blue 
And it kind of felt like a bit of a shock. Everyone was going crazy. They posted this little post here, courtesy of Instagram, basically with a, with a picture that says retired. And underneath it in the caption, it says as follows. My cup is empty. Thank you, everyone who supported me in my career over the years. Every person that trusted me with their image. I'm so grateful for all of you. If this business was just about the clothes, I would do it for the rest of my life. But unfortunately, it's not. The politics, the lies, the false narratives finally got me. You win. I'm out. Now, if you don't know who Law Roach is, he's very famous in my kind of area of fashion for being the person responsible for rejigging and reviving, um, what's her name, Zendaya's kind of image in terms of fashion. But in terms of me and my interest, in terms of men and males, he has done a fantastic job resurrecting and saving Lewis Hamilton from the scourge of having too much money and not enough ability to put clothes together. Because Lewis Hamilton is in that kind of stratosphere of somebody that has so much money, it's just hard to figure out what looks good. So for the longest period of time, he was wearing some horrible outfits, Lewis Hamilton. Really crazy bad outfits. And then, of course, there here comes Law Roach and kind of dressed him to the nines and actually made him look somewhat presentable. I think one of my favorite fits from Lewis Hamilton is when he's wearing all red. Let me see if I can get up on here. It's this all red outfit that he put on that I thought was absolutely amazing. Lewis Hamilton, there we go, outfit. It's an all red one and that was responsible and that is a responsibility of Law Roach. So any outfit you see of Lewis Hamilton where he's actually looking somewhat decent, even though he's a multi-millionaire, you know, playboy, race car driver who's fucking amazing, right? Style's not really his thing. But ever since he's linked up with flipping Law Roach, look at these wins on these outfits. This pink outfit, win. This other pink fuchsia outfit, win. This Coco Cabana outfit, win. This dot outfit, win. This blue marine with a kilt outfit, win. This, you know, flowery design outfit, win. All of these, win, 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 win. And they're all because of Law Roach's styling ability, right? His ability to style people is what he's done. Look at this. Even this, he's made this work. Again, this is not for me, and it definitely won't work on me and my body and my head shape. But how has he made Lewis Hamilton look cool in, this looks like a knitted crochet, um, whatever hat, and a sweater that of the same thing as well. And a cable knit sweater. How has he made that look cool? It looks absolutely amazing. So big up Laura Roach for being absolutely phenomenal. But a lot of us online must have seen um, this video, which I'm going to get up here slowly, if I can find it. This video went viral during Fashion Week, right? And it features Zendaya um, attending the Louis Vuitton Women's Collection show in Paris. And Laura Roach also accompanying Zendaya. And it went viral because guess what? Zendaya and Law Roach are approaching the, you know, going to this collection, going to this runway show. They're obviously working together. They're obviously close colleagues, close friends now at this point. And you'd imagine they probably organized, you know, themselves to get some certain seats. For whatever reason, Zendaya has a seat, but Law Roach doesn't. So they arrive at this event, ready to see the show. They come in, everyone's already seated. They're late to get there. Everyone's looking at them. And as they pull up to the front row, look what happens. Zendaya is sitting down, as you can see there. And Laura Roach is there standing up in the yellow. Zendaya's got that face on of her, like, oh my God, babe, I don't know what happened. I'm really sorry. And there's absolutely no seats anywhere for Laura Roach to sit down on because the fashion show is absolutely jam-packed, full of celebrities and hangers-on. So he's there just staring at her, thinking, oh my God. And of course, he probably decides to walk off. So at the time, people thought it was funny. But looking back on it and just thinking about 
how these little sometimes what people would deem to be microaggressions can sometimes be the final kind of you know whip on your back that tells you, you know what enough's enough that could be the straw that breaks the camel's back and I've seen it myself in my little ex field. Let's say even playing sports sometimes where, you know, you, you get picked to play for a team, you go to play, it comes to the match day and for whatever reason, your kit is not the one that's ready. They don't have the right socks for you. You have to bite, you have to kind of use socks from the previous season. The shirt you got doesn't fit. It just kind of gives you this idea that no one really cares about you. How come everyone else's kit's done, but your kit isn't quite correct? And it's the same thing happening here. For all the good work that Law Roach has done, building up his name as a stylist, which is not easy to do, right? Stylist, styling is probably one of the most underappreciated aspects of the fashion industry. You don't really get a lot of props. It's hard to make a lot of money. And the clients are, you know, they're few and far between, especially the ones that you actually want to dress and you actually want to kind of collaborate with. So it's a kind of a bit of a thankless task in that regard. But now they're a bit more high profile. So it's hard to kind of manage. But that aside, you reach that pinnacle. You're really getting it to the top. And then suddenly, as you feel like you're about to ascend, you get reminded just who you are and what level you're at. You arrive at the Louis Vuitton show, and guess what? There's no seat for you to sit down on. There's no seat. So now you have to, what, embarrassingly walk by all these flipping fashion people and, what, find another seat somewhere. There is no seats. So I can definitely understand why this would have made the guy quit and decide, you know what, enough's enough, I'm not having it. But he did explain... Um, the reason behind him posting this in a really cool little interview here, courtesy of Vogue, it says he as follows, let me to take this off. It says, Laurel Roach opens up about his retirement for celebrity styling, his future plans and dramatic modeling debut at Hugo Boss. So Laurel Roach obviously got denied the seating at that Louis Vuitton show. And then the next couple of days after, Laurel Roach is there debuting, or sorry, walking the runway for Hugo Boss at Milan Fashion Week. So sometimes an L, you can turn it into a W. So let's scroll down and see what the interview says. Uh, la, 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 la. I want to see specifically about um, about the flipping retirement. Let's scroll down here. Yeah, cool. Here we go. So, please respect. So, this is this is from the interview of the interview from Vogue. As follows. Please accept my apologies for the terrible math. So that's nigh on a decade. In your Instagram post, you use the word retire, but what we're seeing tonight feels more like a transition. And Laura Roach replies, I'm not saying I'm retiring from fashion. I love fashion. I love the business. I love being creative. What I'm retiring from is the celebrity styling part of it. The being in service and that, that service of other people. That's what I'm retiring from. Yeah. Just imagine what must have caused Laura Roach to retire in the middle of, what, I don't know what, what time of day that was posted, but let's say in the middle of the night, let's say early morning. Imagine what must have ticked him off to be like, you know what? Enough's enough. I'm done. Like the industry is actually quite brutal. You spend a long time working up to kind of get in, you know, doing what needs to be done on your own, styling, you know, flipping, you know, lugging across the country or the city, tons of clothes, using your own money, going bankrupt, going in debt to make it. And then you get to the top and you realize, you know what? The bullshit just continues. It's just different kind of bullshit, but the bullshit continues. Anyway, the story continues. The interview continues, sorry. Um, they ask, you were quite enigmatic in your post, which assured a vacuum, sorry, which created a vacuum into which a lot of, of love has been flooded. He said, yeah, it's been overwhelming the amount of love because I also work and live in a bubble in which my clients are my priority, more so than my own health and happiness. And in my mind, you know, I was doing this, making a statement of retirement just to relieve some pressure from myself. I was riding in a car and I made a decision and I said, you know what? 
I've done everything I wanted to do in this career. I've received all the awards, all the accolades. I've changed people's lives. And I just feel like I've had enough, you know? So that Instagram post wasn't a PR stunt. It was really me having, me giving myself the grace to say, it's okay, you can do something. You know what's really funny? Anyone that says that was a place, anyone that says that was a PR stunt hasn't worked in fashion. And I don't mean you have to work in like a, you know, in the fashion week capacity or for like a big luxury house. Just working in a retail store, a fashion retail store will give you all the understanding, or for a fashion brand, will give you all the understanding as to why somebody who's an actual OG in the industry, who has accolades, who has respect from peers, who's made money, who's somewhat famous in his own field, why they decide to retire. You, working in a retail store will give you the understanding of how flipping exhausting that industry is. It continues here. Um, so a form of self-care. Um, law, law, uh, sorry, um, law Roach says as follows. Yeah, and that kind of became this other thing that I wasn't quite ready for. I've had some, so I've had an outpouring of support, text messages and DMs that I haven't gotten back to and yet, and because it's just overwhelming, even fans saying that watching my work brings them joy and people I've worked with, no, you can't leave because you know we love working with you and just all those things, it's beautiful and it's made me even more excited about today and working with Boss and then giving me an opportunity to be on the show in a different light, you know, and there's Laura Roach there looking absolutely sharp and looking absolutely snatched as per usual. Um, as a stylist, you have a, a particular skill of colliding clients with clothes in context or in a combination that creates a cat of storytelling. It says, yes, at the core of it, I say this all the time, I'm a storyteller. I just use the clothes as the words, right? When I work with anyone, when I do an editorial, there has to be some type of narrative. I have to know what I'm trying to say. And I just use the clothes to do so. At the end of the day, I'm nothing more than a storyteller. And I love that. I love the definition of a flipping stylist, being a storyteller, right? being able to create these narratives, to kind of weave these stories together, to present somebody in an entirely different way, maybe to tap into something that they dreamed about, some sort of fantasy that they once have. And Laura Roach is able to do that and do it at the best and at the top, top, top of his ability. So yeah, big up um, Laura Roach and big up what he's doing. I'm glad he hasn't retired, even though that little dalliance at the runway was quite embarrassing, but I don't think it should be the reason to retire. I still think he has a lot to offer the scene, a lot to offer the scene. Next, we have to talk about this. So, I wouldn't say this person's gone, oh, okay, cool. It's gone somewhat viral. Let's say that. So, considering how small my flipping following is on social media. So, this is my post that I posted or I kind of retweeted. This is an image of Pharrell Williams at a recent Cause gallery show in Paris. I guess it's at the private view and he's taking a picture next to a sculpture that's featured in a Cause um, gallery. Sorry, in the Cause exhibition. And so far, my retweet has been seen 3,500 two t two times and i kind of said the following this is how you know uh being a fashion creative director is easy peasy work pharrell should be busy designing his first ever fashion collection for louis vuitton men's but instead he's going to private views lol one thing is for sure someone is working it's just not him so the reason why i wrote this is, is twofold i'm one of the people who despite being a very big a, a, a kind of a huge fan of pharrell musically and somewhat fashion as well, mainly for the music, but, you know, fashion also kind of relates to it. I was one of the people that is really doubting his ability to be able to take over from Louis, from the late, great Virgil Abloh at Louis Vuitton Men's, especially when you consider Pharrell doesn't really have any experience. Forget training, because Virgil didn't have any training either. 
but he doesn't really have any training or any experience, sorry, in putting together a full collection. The best work that Pharrell's done, I think, in his sort of design um, career has been when he's done really small collaborations or capsule collections. You think of the stuff he did with Montclair. You think of the stuff he did early on with BBC and Ice Cream and stuff. But apart from that, I don't really feel like the guy is known for being able to create full bodies of work or tell stories as Laura just telling I don't think you could tell stories over the span of 30 40 50 looks plus accessories plus resort it just feels a little bit crazy so I didn't understand why they'd appoint him but that being said fashion being the way it is at the moment it's not really important to have any sort of formal training in design at all especially if you've got taste because for the most part in these really big luxury houses they have people who are already working doing the actual nitty-gritty of the fashion work of pattern cutting of sewing of finishing of materials of you know textures whatever materials production all this sort of stuff being handled by somebody else so essentially what Louis Vuitton are proving here by hiring someone like a Pharrell Williams is that you know, the idea of going in there with some sort of design, design expertise or knowledge doesn't really matter. If you've got good taste, if you've got a bit of a following yourself, they can basically plug you into their already, in their already, you know, their running machine and you could just basically churn out collection after collection with not that much effort. Because if it was me and I was in Pharrell's shoes, if it was me and I was in Pharrell's shoes and I was hired to take over from a, you know, a very influential and important person in fashion in terms of Virgil Abloh, like his design or not, he played an important role during his time here in reshaping fashion, reshaping what it looked like, especially men's representation, all that malarkey, the performance of the shows, the influences, the cultural aspect of it, the music, the history, all that stuff was involved in it. If you're going to be that person that takes over from him, you have to be real. You have to be kind of aware of the weight, and also if you're somebody that doesn't have much experience, I'd want to spend every waking minute in that studio, learning, soaking up game, um, you know, trying out ideas and trying to run through as many iterations of an idea or kind of prototypes as you can before you get to the runway collection. Because if not, this picture is going to come back and haunt him because he should be in the studio designing. But instead, he's here posing with another cause art piece. And again, cause his friend. They're all friends, right? Nigo, cause, all those guys. They're all kind of the same age. They kind of came up together. This is not the first time he has he's seen a cause exhibition. He's seen them all. So did he really need to go? Should he shouldn't be in Paris focusing on flipping, putting the collection together? I don't know. But one thing it does prove, one thing it does prove is that this idea of having experience and know-how in fashion doesn't matter especially if you're going for the top jobs. If anything, if you're a kid and you're in fashion school, it probably might be beneficial for you to just, you know, commit your entire life to becoming very noteworthy or influential or maybe well-followed or liked on social media for your outfits or for your whatever else, your opinions, and then using that clout to segue you into a position in a job in these kind of high places. But if you go the traditional route and go to fashion school, there's no guarantee that you're going to be able to go to Louis Vuitton Mint. But if you actually decide to be a man or a girl around town, you put a little, you know, streetwear collection together, um, you start making your own little things here and there, but you then create a bit of a following. It's really, it's not without reason that someone's going to plug you and say, you know what? Why don't you come to our brand and create a couple of collections and see how this goes? Because they want, you know, most of these bands, especially the ones that don't really have a huge Gen Z kind of client base, they want to tap into that as much as possible. So I do envision saying, I do envision seeing a lot more of these appointments, a lot of these kind of semi-celebrity type ones going forward. So don't be surprised if you see someone like a Rocky 
get an approach to do something similar. I can see that happening as well sometime in the future. So yeah, big up Pharrell, but I still think he should be in the studio designing. Like like this, it's like that common adage they say about women, isn't it? We should be staying in the kitchen, you know, slaving away. I think he should be staying in the ki- in the studio designing because that man's gonna need all the help he can get before that changes. Next on list, we'll talk about this. So, have you seen these? This is absolutely hilarious. So, Vans have put together a shoe, um, a Vans old school, with this sort of thunder design on the outsole that looks very, very similar to the Revenge Storms, the shoe that was made popular by Ian Connor. I think he founded it back in the day. They're still doing bits now, but you maybe remember it with a little thunderbolt on the side instead of the kind of wave um, sort of logo pattern they got here from the Vans. So, Vans essentially have created the exact same thing that Revenge Storm were doing, but did it in their own way, which is hilarious. And it kind of made me think a little bit and have a little bit of sympathy and patience with this. Where is it? Oh, wrong one. It made me have a little bit of patience and sympathy with... Oh, where is it? Did I have the picture here? Where is it? It's not, is it that one? It's not that one. Oh, man. Did I flip and mess it up? Of course I messed it up. Where is it? Anyway, doesn't matter. Let's just continue. I've completely lost the flipping tab that I had open that I had in there. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So, I think this is really interesting that Vans will do this and copy this Revenge Storm type of feel because it does kind of give me a little bit of understanding as to why the guy's like, what's his name? Cool Kai Kicks and stuff, right? Is that his name? Cool, is it Cool Kai? Yeah, this is the guy, right? It gives me some sort of sympathy with these type of people like Cool Kai Kicks because essentially they're out here fighting for their lives to be able to have the right to basically copy the Air Jordan 1 and just replace the swoosh with this sort of like Thunder type logo thing that he's done. But one thing that he argues and a lot of these kind of, you know, um, customizer, designer type guys, what they kind of argue is that Nike, although they should not be, not be copying Nike's flipping designs, they actually accuse Nike of copying their colorways. Don't you find that interesting? So Nike have the ability to make as many colors as they want. They own the pattern. They own the molds. They have factories probably in the studios that they can churn out prototypes and put them on and make and see what they look like in the hand. But yet, for and they have all the you know all the talented colorists and designers and whatever else may be working in those studios. But still, they can't come up with as good colorways as these bootleggers can. So a lot of these guys are accusing Nike of actually copying their colorways. So I have a little bit of sympathy for these guys now because I didn't before because essentially these brands, like Vans being the example here with these flipping um, new Revenge Storms that they're doing, for the entire time they were suing and giving Revenge Storm cease and desist and whatnot and whatever it may be. But then in the end, they turned around and decided to copy that exact logo that they, that, you know, they wanted to crush Revenge Storm for. But they didn't think of it before Revenge Storm thought of it. That's the annoying part of it. So if you're cool, Kai Kicks, yeah, you're copying the Air Jordan 1 model. And yeah, you're not being creative. And yeah, it's kind of the opposite of creativity and shows no real insight or kind of awareness of who you are, what you do and whatnot. As you can see here from this um, article, courtesy of Flipping Complex, um, basically Nike is saying, hey, there's nothing discernible at all from cool, Kai Kicks and what we do. He's just flipping and taking what it is. But, but... I do actually like the fact that they actually try to create fresh new colorways. They don't just go back to the catalogs 
and retro old colorways with their crappy logo. No, they actually try to make new and fresh colorways that their clients would like or that their customers will actually be a fan of. So I have a little bit of understanding and patience from that way, especially after seeing these fucking Vans Revenge Storms. Um, I'd much rather wear the Revenge Storms, even though they look like bootlegs and they probably won't be shipped and whatnot if you do order them online because they just look way more interesting than these because this feels like these feels already dated it feels like they come like you know five years too late ten years too late but they should have jumped on it or they maybe should have gave or maybe did the collaboration with revenge storm but you know maybe they thought they were competition but yeah big up those vans i think they're meant to be coming out when does it say a date here there's no date but they're meant to be priced out. oh look at that price 75 dollars that's pretty tasty isn't it not too bad at that but yeah big up um big up vans for putting those together they look pretty decent i like that and then I want to talk about this. I think this might be the last subject to talk about before I move on. And then I'll kind of restart the stream and do a, what you call it? And do a flipping random show. So this is the last thing I wanted to talk about. Um, I mentioned it before already regarding Tom Sachs, right? Somebody that I'm a big fan of. And to me, somebody that created one of the greatest Nike collaborations of all time in the Nike craft, Mars Yard, especially the number one, right? The, the first editions, which I had in absolutely war to the ground. But I'm a big fan of his, the lovely design studio and whatnot. You know, you sort of obsess over his store. I remember copying a little bit of his online retail store and kind of copied it in my own style from my own little website for a time. Really big fan of his. Obviously, the 10 bullets principles of design also. And I like all that shit. But lately, he's been accused of running a cult and being a little bit of a scary, mean old boss. And the accusations keep getting worse now. Curse of this article um, from Complex. It says as follows. Nike covered up a reference to slave work on the Tom Sachs sneaker box in 2017. <laughs> so these sneakers, right? I've had these, right? And my, mine, are, mine had to throw away because they got completely beaten up. But they're now going for, I think, like, I think they're going in the thousands on StockX, something crazy. But they're one of my favorite collaborations of all time. They're probably the only sneaker that I have in my I had in my collection that got the most compliments from regular people that don't care about trainers. These were the ones that got you know compliments from the aunties, from the uncles, to to the brothers, to the sisters, to the ran to the random Caucasian people. Like people love these shoes legitimately. They're legitimately one of my best shoes I had, and I can't believe I've wrecked mine and had to throw them away. But doesn't matter. Nike had kind of, the you know, complex kind of covered this development, this Tom Sachs story, and it's pretty hilarious in, in one way. It says, Nike quietly altered the packaging for a sneaker collaboration with the artist Tom Sachs in 2017, scrubbing the box of his Nike Craft Mark's Yard 2.0 shoe of the phrase, work like a slave. <laughs> so you can't say work like a slave, but you can say dance like a stripper. Did you hear that? You can't say work like a slave, but you can say dance like a stripper. I feel like I'm like a, I'm like a battle rapper. You can say work like a slave, but you can't say that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, let's continue. Sash is one of the Nike's highest profile collaborators. He came to work with the sneaker brand through his friendship with former Nike CEO Mark Parker and has released a four separate Nike models since 2012. Sash is under scrutiny this week in the wake of a report from Curbed that described the New York studio as a cult-like workplace. Honestly, give me the cult. If I have to join a cult, I'm not going to lie. If I have to join a cult to get these shoes, I'll join the cult. If I have to give somebody sloppy toppy, if I have to, if I have to bend over and cough, regardless, I'll do that if I have to get these shoes. Especially these ones, right? These Tom Sachs Mars Yards 2.5s, which never came out, right? They, they basically upgraded the shoes that I had. 
They've been reinforced with this rubberized toe at the front. So if you're working in the studio or a flipping, you know, anvil falls on your toe, you're not going to break your toes. Maybe you might, you know, might not break your nail, but you might break your actual toes regardless. And then I like that on the, on the toe box and the, and the side sections, they've been reinforced with this waterproof type fabric. It's kind of like a mesh. I forgot what it's called. I forgot what the material of it's called. Then you've got these reinforced metal eyelets at the top here that kind of stop the fraying. These are a really good upgrade to the shoes I already had, like a really nice upgrade. But we've got no idea on when these are ever coming out. But legitimately, 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 if I have to join a cult to get these, I'm joining a cult. I swear on my life I'm joining it. So these complaints that people are having, I don't understand it. Tom Sachs forever. We continue. Um, curbed story, sorry, the curb story says the shoe once appeared on a Zoom call um, with the women employees at Nike wearing just this as underwear. Oh, hold on, let's go back again. The curb story says Sash once appeared on a Zoom call with women employees at, at the Nike wearing just his underwear. That's a bit excessive. If he's in the studio chilling out and you're calling him when he's out of studio time, then, you know, you need to relax. Anyway, uh, uh. Um, Nike did not respond for the curb's comments or request. Anyway, Tom Sachs' Nike Craft 2.0 was one of the most coveted shoes in the last decade. The modern classic has presently fetches up to $4,000 on resales market. When it was first released, the shoe was immediately target of resellers who sometimes pay well over the limited uh, for it. One reseller who has been able to buy early pairs of the Mars Yard from retailer before the shoe reached 2017 said he has no he had to return the pairs to the request of the store stocking them as Nike has sent out notes that the boxes need to be altered. The reseller requested them so that it not to be jeopardized with access. He says, so it's a reseller. The reseller said the following. They're recalling back all the shoes. We need to get them back. The reseller remembers being told by the store at the time that sold it to him. There is a problem on the box. Nike apparently thought better of releasing a shoe in a box with a reference to working like a slave. The original box of the Mars 2.0 Nike on 2017 had the following, right? Can you see it there? That's what it had, right? The original box. Work like a slave, order like a king, create like a dog. I don't see the issue with this, to be fair. You kind of get what he means. He's not saying legitimately work like a slave, right? Like actually, he just means hustle. In that kind of way, you'd imagine. That's what you'd hope it means anyway. The writing appears to linger just barely with the box, which I purchased in Nike Lab 21 Mercer. After peeling back the few inches of duct tape, I can make out the faintest create. The writing persists on the boxes and for the fake versions. Uh, this week, Complex released out to a vendor selling fake prints, fake pairs of 2.0 and requested the box of the photo. They provided show the box on the inside. Yeah, as you can see, there we go work like a dog if a factory were producing fakes of the shoe it tracks it down that it would have based them off the original specs of the box and not the updated last minute instructions for nike to remove them but yeah the new allegations against us could threaten his relationship with nike and the up-and-coming product collaboration nike has distanced itself from the partners over similar issues in the past and just last year cut ties with a deal with long-term um, endorser Kyrie irving in the wake of his controversial support please don't cancel the deal before he drops them please don't do this please i beg of you we're deeply concerned by the very serious allegations. Nike spokesperson says we're in contact with Tom and his studio and we're seeking better understanding of the situation, how these issues have been addressed. SAS Studio did not respond to the complex for a request to comment. I hope that we still get them. Nike is working on a 3.0 to shoe according to internal brand documents reviewed by Complex. No images of the upcoming 3.0 have been leaked, but Nike has publicly confirmed the shoe is coming. So there's meant to be another shoe in the works. 
Um, Tom Sachs is getting accused of turning up to Zoom meetings in his in his tighty whiteies. He's been accused of writing, um, you know, offensive racist, um, you know, graffiti on the inside of the box, which I don't think it is. I think if any, this is quite motivating. And if these dropped around flipping Black History Month, that would have been perfect for me. <laughs> but yeah, he's been accused of all manner of things. So maybe it's too hot in the block. It's too hot in the streets, and they'll end up canceling it sooner rather than later. You'd imagine that's what's gonna go do because a lot of these bands are just scared of blowback. So. And they also don't want to risk an opportunity, a, a kind of, they don't want to risk a scenario where the shoe doesn't sell because people are protesting that, you know, they're basically running a racist sneaker collaboration organization, which they're clearly not. But you can imagine them thinking the way that they want to think regarding that. So um, hopefully that doesn't happen and we do see the shoes coming up because I really, really do want them really desperately. So I'm hoping that isn't the fact because these shoes are too hard to just be binned. Maybe not these updates. I don't think these updates are that great personally for me. Like I said before, this is the original model of the of the Mars Yard that I had, that I beat up and threw away. I don't think this model is that great, to be completely honest. I don't think it's also the best. To me, this edition is definitely the best version of it with this kind of rubberized toe at the front and the reinforced eyelets and whatnot. The sole looks like it's been lifted up a little bit, you know, maybe a few inches more than the original. That looks a little bit thicker there in terms of the midsole. You've got this nice little protective section there on this thing. I love it. I think it looks freaking beautiful. So I hope he gets cancelled after the shoes come out so I can purchase them. I hope Tom Sats get cancelled after the shoes come out so I can purchase them. Anyways, that has been the Agostino Zinga Show, episode number 656, nice and tight. If this is your first time watching this live stream of this show, you know what to do. Smash like down below, hit the unlike if you also want to, leave me a comment and all that, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. And if you're of course listening via the audio version of the show, you'll hear a beat coming underneath here right now as i play a little outro song but for those of you watching on the live stream and those of you in the live chat please hang around in the next hour or so i will be streaming i'll put up a live stream for the random show we've got a lot of stuff to talk about number one we've got to talk about is bgl bgl is back out here in the streets he's been listening to too much future he's being a he's being a real 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 city boy so we're gonna see what the vibe is saying with bgl and a few other bits and bobs so if you want to check out the random show um in a couple of hours i'll put out a live stream so keep an eye on the action zinger show channel for that to come out but this has been the action zinger show my cultural comedy podcast cultural commentary not comedy cultural commentary podcast so keep an eye out for what i do on here and of course subscribe to all my bits and bobs that i have going on but until next time my friends thank you so much for hanging out with me i appreciate every single one of you it's been an absolute fun ride and i'll see you guys again very very soon take care and be safe everybody peace
Thank you.